You are listening to Right Off the Bus. All right, everybody, we are back for another episode of Right Off the Bus. This is episode 22. It is Wednesday, May 26th. And yes, you might notice I'm alone today, unless you're listening, which you'll figure out when you don't hear Chandler's voice. Chandler, as we mentioned last week, is out at Yosemite on vacation. He's out there doing some hiking, some rock climbing, seeing the sights. Catching a national park, which I would love to do sometime, as I've said. Um, I would love to go out to Yosemite, too. I know it's great out there, but I will be doing the episode solo today. We'll have some fun. We'll do our regular show. Next week, Chandler will be back from vacation. We'll be doing that, so he'll be back for your usual intro. He's so good at doing the intro, but today, I guess you got to do deal with me giving it justice, but Chandler's having a good time at Yosemite. I've just been kicking back in Massachusetts, our usual residence uh was a saturday night saturday night so i'm recording this now saturday night i went down to a comedy show at the hartford funny bone saw mark norman down there that was hilarious he's a great uh great comedian my buddy actually introduced me to him right before the show it was like wednesday and he texted me and my other friends seeing if we wanted to go see mark norman and i was like i don't even know who that is checked him out on youtube he's got a special out there saw some other clips that he has he's been on the joe rogan podcast hilarious guy it was awesome i think they had just opened back up down at the funny bone so that might have been like the first or second show back that they had it so they had some tables closed off but it was it was uh it was packed i mean it was a good time i'm fully vaccinated wasn't worried about it i was just there to have some fun it was a great time and yeah good to see a comedy show again i definitely got to go to more comedy shows and the hartford funny bone man they they put on some good shows me and me and my buddy saw a comedian there pre-covid it was about a year and a half ago we saw a different comedian there so definitely a good venue looking to go back and it's funny that they say hartford funny bone because it's really in manchester and it's a weird venue because it's inside of a mall too and there's no signage outside of the mall for the funny bone like you just have to park at the right place enter and you go in and you're right at the right at the funny bone yeah it's in manchester not hartford so Never really got why they said that. It's kind of like with the airport here. If anyone who listens isn't from this area, the uh, the airport down in Windsor Locks, they say you're flying to Bradley and Hartford, but uh, Bradley is actually in Windsor Locks. It's not Hartford. So it's kind of like that. I think it's just like something people recognize. So that is what I got going on. That Not much else than that. I mean, we'll, uh, we'll jump right into some stuff here. We're not going to go with too many headlines today. Just uh, go through our usual sports. But there's there's been some good stuff going on, I got to say. So the first one I'll jump into in the football world. If anyone saw this, I don't know. Julio Jones went on Undisputed with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. So didn't go on the show, but... Shannon Sharp, I think, called him, and then Julio called him back, and they were live on the air, and nobody knows if Julio knew that he was live. I kind of think he – so I was under the impression that he might have known, but then at one point after Julio says what he says, Shannon kind of gives him the lowdown that they are live on the air. And what Julio did was – so Shannon asks him, like, if, are you, oh, you want to go to Dallas or are you staying in Atlanta with the Falcons? And – Julio just comes right out and says, I'm out of there. Says, I am no longer wanting to be in Atlanta. Doesn't want to be with the Falcons anymore. So Julio, I think, is moving on. He's going to be gone from Atlanta. Even if uh, even if 
he didn't make those comments, I, I just, I didn't see how it was going to work out anyways. But now that he has made those comments, I just, I mean, it's like irreparable damage at this point because he said, I'm out of there. He wants to win. He said he wants to win. Doesn't think Atlanta can win, even though they did just have a decent draft, did get a uh, Kyle Pitts at tight end. That's going to be good for their offense. But I tell you what, it's going to be up to Kyle Pitts and then uh, it's going to be up to Calvin Ridley. That's going to be the core there. They, uh, they do have Hayden Hurst at the backup as tight end too. So maybe they'll run a two tight end system. They, they'll have a decent offense like usual. It's always Atlanta's defense that struggles. So we'll see what happens there in Atlanta. But Julio said, I don't want to go to Dallas either. I want to win. And he didn't just, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say that. That's not a direct quote. But he made it clear that he does not go to Dallas. And at this point, I don't know where he does want to go. But there's not too many teams that can afford him. He's got a $15.3 million guaranteed salary this coming season. And he's been highly linked with the Ravens, but the Ravens only got about like 10 million cap space. I think they'd have to make some moves and do some things that I, as a Ravens fan, wouldn't really like in order to get that deal done. And honestly, with the players that the Ravens got, I'm okay with it. We got Rashad Bateman. I'm fine. I don't need it. Mark Andrews is coming back, man. We're good. We're good. I don't need it. So I'm excited about what the Ravens got. We got Sammy Watkins as well. It's going to be a great offense this year. Nick Boyle is going to be healthy, I think. They're hoping he will be. So we'll have Pat Ricard and Nick Boyle doing some heavy blocking. Nick Boyle can catch a few passes at tight end here, here and there. But yeah, I'm excited about that. But so for the four teams that can really afford Julio Jones right now, we have the Chargers, the Colts, the 49ers, and the Patriots. So those are the four core teams that can even afford Julio. And funny enough, those are four teams that actually could use some help at wide receiver. Now, I would say the strongest out of those four is the Chargers, but he's been heavily linked with the Chargers. They have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. That's a great duo. And just for the sake of uh, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to list their duos. So Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, that's a solid duo for the Chargers. You could have a serious firepower offense if you want to sign Julio. Keenan Allen and Julio lined up across the field from each other then you got mike williams as that third wide receiver that's an incredible offense the colts could use a lot more help ty hilton and michael Pittman jr those are two great receivers i don't know how long ty is going to be sticking around i think they uh, i believe they franchise tagged him or just signed him to a one-year deal for this season because he was a free agent in the offseason so ty hilton michael Pittman jr they could use julio the colts definitely could they got carson wentz a new quarterback situation, they could look to get him some firepower. I would like that move for the Colts. I think it would make a lot of sense. If they can afford it, why not? Because if you get Julio, that's a, it completely reshapes your offense. I think you I think you add some much-needed uh, additional help at wide receiver. T.Y. Hilton, Julio Jones, and Michael Pittman Jr., that is a deadly offense. And then the 49ers, who the quarterback situation is hazy right now. They just did uh, draft Trey Lance. Jimmy G hopefully will be healthy. Those two will be competing for a quarterback spot. But I tell you what, no matter who you have at the helm, it's going to be tough. Although with great receivers in Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, I don't think that's enough. They're great in their own right. I don't think it's enough, though. You get Julio Jones, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk together. Now, that is a trio that's worth talking about. That's a great one. And now moving on to the Patriots, they've been heavily linked with the Patriots. The Patriots have been the big spenders of the offseason, as Chandler's mentioned. I think Chandler would love this move. I don't know about my other fellow Patriots fans uh, that I'm friends with, 
Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, two great additions this offseason. Will it be enough for uh, for Cam Newton and Mac Jones? I don't know. Cam Newton hasn't had the greatest track record with passing in his entire career, but especially in the past couple seasons, although he didn't play the uh, the previous season, but last season especially, the passing was kind of a weak area for the Patriots. So I don't know uh, if if he'll be properly utilized with Cam Newton, but we'll get Mac Jones, Cam Newton. They're going to see what happens there. They're going to fight for that spot. I think Cam will start, and then it's going to be maybe like a situation where if Cam gets hurt or he's just not playing well, they're going to give Mac a chance. But I think they want Mac the time to develop, kind of like Brady had a little time to develop, but then Brady came in midseason uh, when uh, – Oh, Chandler would kill me for this, but I'm forgetting the quarterback before his uh, before him's name. But Brady came in, might be a similar situation with Mac Jones. We'll see what Belichick's got up his sleeve. But with Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, and then you do have Nikhil Harry, it's a, it's a solid trio. But I think bringing in Julio just it, it brings in some much needed help. I I, I think the, out of those four teams, the one that makes the most sense for me, Colts, it makes a lot of sense. And then the 49ers. I don't know if the Patriots chase them, but they have been the big spenders. So maybe that's maybe that's the route they go. I, I'm not sure. Maybe that's the route they go. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And I'm, I'm excited to see where Julio goes. Now, we did see, uh, I don't know what the Cardinals cap space is looking like. They might be willing to make some moves. But DeAndre Hopkins uh, was, was seen saying something to Julio online. He was saying, oh, remember what I told you, Julio? And... Imagine Julio and D Hop in Arizona. You got JJ Watt there. Then you, <laughs> then you had another big addition in Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins. Unbelievable. Kyler Murray would have the weapons of his choice. You got Christian Kirk. It's like that's a amazing receiving core. So I would be excited for any of those teams to pick up Julio. It would just it would add some much needed, some much needed depth at the wide receiver position, which for those four teams is relatively slim. Obviously, the Chargers have a star like Keenan Allen. Mike Williams has been developing very good, very greatly. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure where Julio will end up, as I've said, but I would, I would like to see him probably on the 49ers or Colts. I think, I think that would be the, the right move for those teams. And moving on, there's going to be a lot of Julio developments. I think by next week, we might have a little more clarity. Definitely by the next two weeks, we're going to see kind of where he's leaning. If he's not signed somewhere yet, I think the path will be clear and he'll be uh, he'll be cleared to sign somewhere. And before I move on, I actually misspoke because it's going to be tough. Atlanta probably won't get what they want. They want a first round pick. They've they've made teams that have inquired about Julio. Uh, that's well known that they want a first round pick. But most uh, most sources don't believe they'll get that. He's had nagging health problems. He's 32 years old. He is a star, but he also comes with that insane uh, cap, that insane salary. That's going to be a massive hit to your cap. So for those three factors that are kind of kind of negative, they're kind of, you know, big question marks. Does someone want to give up a first round pick? I think Atlanta is going to come to find that between keeping Julio on the team in a disgruntled locker room that doesn't want him anymore and then giving up a first round pick, they're probably going to give up the first round pick because at a certain point, is it worth even having him on the team? I mean, there you have Calvin Ridley, who was already a wide receiver one with Julio having so many injuries and not catching as many touchdowns anymore. He became Matt Ryan's favorite target. Calvin Ridley can easily take over that slot. You have the new tight end coming in from the draft and Kyle Pitts. And I would just say that 
they're they're better off without Julio at this point. I think they go and get what they can for him. They're not going to get any more after this season. I, I would just do it now. And regardless, you can try for the first rounder, but if you can get a second rounder out of it, I, I say so be it. Take the second rounder. Look, I mean, you can – there were so many receivers available in the second round still this season in this draft, and I think that's just a sign that you could still go out and get somebody that's, that's worth going for. And I think you could find – not Julio's replacement, but you could find somebody who's worth getting. And I think that you just have to look to the draft. You get the draft picks you can get, maybe a player, and you move on from Julio because clearly it's it's just a broken uh, broken relationship, and he's going to move on to a different team. So we're going to see uh, we're going to see what happens with Julio as the coming weeks uh, develop. And moving on, just one more bit in the NFL world, we know Tebow was signed. Uh, Tim Tebow was signed to the Jaguars. I believe it was a $920,000 deal for one year. No guaranteed money. They, he's going to have to fight for a spot on that team. It's it's going to be a tough road for him. I, he's, he's looking thick, if I'm going to be honest. He's looking very thick. He's a big boy now. He's certainly not the quarterback or the, uh, the Mets player that we saw. I think he's put on a – it didn't look like fat. It looked like muscle. He looked like he kind of like developed into a tight end type of build. So it's interesting to see like how serious he's taking it. And I, I think he really wants to play. A lot of people don't understand the Tim Tebow hate and why, you know, he's getting signed like this. But when you see the deal, it makes a lot of sense because they are taking a chance on him. I know there's other players like Colin Kaepernick who haven't been given that same chance and that's a problem, but you can't, that doesn't mean you can hate on Tebow for getting signed. Good on him. It's hard to hate on the Jaguars too. I mean, Urban Meyer used to be his coach. So it makes a lot of sense to me. What with doing that. So Tim Tebow, the $920,000 deal, no guaranteed money. He's got to earn that spot. And if he gets injured or something happens, uh, just anything bad happens, I believe that he can, uh, he can split and he won't get any of that money. So we're going to see what happens with Tebow in Jack in uh, Jacksonville, but to get to my uh, belabored point last week, the top selling Jersey on the NFL shop, was Tim Tebow's Jaguars number 85 jersey, the jersey he just got, the number he just got. If you'll remember, Aaron Hernandez's old number, I believe. So that was interesting. But he got the he got the number 85 jersey, and it was the top-selling jersey on the NFL shop. So hate Tim Tebow all you want. I mean, there's people buying his jersey, and those NFL jerseys ain't cheap unless you're getting them from China. You're getting those bootleg jerseys. NFL shops, $100, $120 for an authentic jersey. I mean, it's unbelievable. So Tim Tebow, good on him. People are people are buying his jersey. He might not even play a real game for the Jaguars, and people are buying his jersey. So regardless of if you hate him, if you like him, I mean, the man sells jerseys. He's a popular guy. He was doing well as an analyst, but he's back. And now he has now claimed a top-selling jersey with four teams and two different sports, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Jaguars now, and then the New York Mets. He had a top-selling jersey for the New York Mets, too. So that's two different sports, four different teams. And you you really can't knock the guy for doing that. I mean, I can't believe that he was on the Mets at all. There's some bad highlights of him playing. It, it was cool to see him try to make a different career and a different sport that he loves. It's amazing to see that he was even that good of an athlete because it, it's very difficult to make it in one sport, let alone two. And for Tim Tebow to do that, get four top selling jerseys on four different teams, unbelievable. And just a very solid transition here. Speaking of the Mets, 
we'll move on just a quick point on baseball. Jacob deGrom made a rehab start for the low-class A affiliate for the Mets. I don't remember exactly what their name is. I believe it's still the Mets. I'm not sure where they're located, but he pitched against the Palm Beach Cardinals. So that's the Cardinals affiliate. Low-class A. That is about, I, I think, as low as it gets in professional baseball. That's just where guys will make a lot of rehab starts. I believe Noah Syndergaard was down there, too. He threw three hitless and scoreless innings and struck out eight of the nine batters he faced. And not only that, he was throwing 102 miles an hour against guys in low class A. Like I've known players in low class A and they you don't see anything like that. Those guys who can throw 102 miles an hour, they're in double A, triple A. They are in double A, triple A. They are not in single A. There's no chance. If you throw 102, I don't care if you have the worst accuracy in the world. If you're a wild thing from the Indians in that movie, if you're Charlie Sheen just hawking the ball, you are not playing low class A. It's it just doesn't happen. And so the Palm Beach Cardinals took that and they had a field day on Twitter with some pretty funny tweets. Jacob deGrom is throwing 102 miles an hour. Someone sent help. <laughs> so that one was funny to me. Palm Beach Cardinals. I, f- I felt for him. And uh, and then the Mets beat them in that game. Seven nothing. And uh, they go, oh, so now the Mets give Jacob DeGrom run support. It's like the Mets never give DeGrom run support. And then he goes to low class single A and he gets seven runs of support behind him. Again, he only pitched three innings. I don't know what the score was after three innings. You don't even get the win four or five innings or uh, for three innings pitched. You have to throw five. So it's not like he got the win. But the fact that, you know, the social media team for the low class single A affiliate can have this much fun they're better than they're better than some mlb and professional sport teams uh social media teams i would have to say i mean you just kind of kind of take this and laugh at it like you're a single a team and you're facing jacob de who's the best the best pitcher in baseball that's a tough break that's a tough break and the mets uh the mets responded the official mets account from the mlb We'll take him back now. Sorry for any inconvenience. The Cardinals go, uh, are you though? Are you really sorry? Are you really sorry you had him down here? No, I, I think it was kind of entertaining. It's it's funny. He struck out eight guys out of the nine he faced. Eight out of nine. I would love to have seen if he threw a complete game, how many guys he actually would have strike, uh, struck out. I would have to say it'd be above 20. You face 27 guys if you, you know, if you throw a perfect game or a no hitter, you well, no hitter. Yeah, perfect game. You throw 27 guys, 27 up, 27 down. I would have to say he strikes out 20 of those guys in single A. I just I watched clips and I just I don't think they could even catch up to him. I don't think that a single A you can catch up to 102 mile an hour fastball. Again, I've known guys in single A. That's just not something you see. Maybe a guy throwing 95. I think that's probably as high as you get. I could be wrong. I could be out of pocket right here, but I'm going to go look after this. I just don't think that you see 100 miles an hour in single A. Those guys just don't live there unless they're doing a rehab start, and there's been plenty of rehab starts there at that level, but you just don't see it. You absolutely do not see it. And that is it for baseball. All right, so we are going to move on to the biggest topic of the day. Obviously, uh, basketball playoffs, NBA playoffs just started. We had the play-in tournament. And now we're on to the playoff matchups. There's some more going on tonight of recording Tuesday, so I'll miss those. You'll uh, we'll know the scores of those after I'm done with this. Uh, those games will be the Celtics versus Nets, the Lakers, Suns, and Mavericks, Clippers, all game two. So all uh, second game of those series. 
But for now, we're going to take a look at the play-in tournament, kind of recap it a little bit, how it went, and how it went for the NBA, and if we enjoyed it, and how the playoff matchups are starting to shape up just after one or two games. So the first thing, after the play-in tournament, it, it was very successful. Adam Silver in the NBA, they've kind of balanced this idea around before. They say that the success of the play-in tournament could engage teams in the idea of a midseason tournament. Now, they've, they've been rattling this idea for a round. They want to find more competitive ways to incorporate uh, incorpor- competitive things to incorporate into basketball, into the NBA, different silly ideas. But this was the, uh, the main one that they had kind of tooled around with was a midseason tournament similar to the playing tournament or uh, what they say, a European soccer style. So if you know that over in the Premier League, for example, they have the FA Cup or the League Cup. And outside of like the normal Premier League season games, they'll have like a Tuesday game or a Wednesday game and you're playing a cup game. So it's like a single elimination style where you'll play, let's say the Celtics and Nets meet midseason. It'll be it won't affect the regular season record, but it will just be a single elimination tournament. They proposed eight teams. So with those eight teams, they would meet uh, just in the middle of the season. It would be incentivized by $1 million payouts per player uh, for the winning team. So that's the incentive to win, and that would kind of make people want to do it. I don't think it's necessarily going to make the team higher-ups and the execs want that, but the players might The players might be able to convince them. The NBA Players Association might want that if they say, hey, you guys could go out and get another million dollars. And those lower-tier bench guys, those guys who don't get many minutes, are still going to get a million dollars in that scenario. So I say if I'm that guy, hell yeah. I'll sign up for that. No problem. Now, there are some downsides to this if the midseason tournament were to pass. Uh, the regular season would shorten from 82 to 78. So with that, I mean, not necessarily a bad thing, missing four games. But with that, some teams would potentially lose two home games. And just outside of losing two home games with your fans, I mean, we're back from COVID where I think most teams at this point have fans back. I believe Madison Square Garden uh, against the uh, against the Hawks. Sorry was at 75% capacity. So we're starting to get there. I think the Nuggets were at lower capacity than that, but the TD Garden in Boston is going to be back. Uh, A lot of teams at this point have fans back. So with that next season, if it were to pass, probably going to be full capacity. We're probably looking at full crowds and not only two home games with the fans. You also, that means revenue lost. Those teams lose revenue, uh, tons of losses on home game revenue. And I can only imagine exactly how much it is for each team. I imagine those bigger markets like Los Angeles, Boston, uh, New York Knicks, possibly even Brooklyn now, the team they got together. Those big markets are going to lose out on a lot of money. That's a lot of money, $2.5 to $4 million, I think I saw, per home game. So it's a lot of revenue you lose out on for for two home games. That's a downside. But other than that, uh, with the the success of the play-in tournament, I think uh, this is something the NBA will definitely move forward with. They're going to want the Players Association to uh, decide with them on it. They're going to want to vote it in. I think it's a cool idea. It's kind of like my thoughts with the play-in tournament where I was unsure. I, I don't know what it would look like, but hey, me and Chandler love soccer. And I like the League Cup and the FA Cup and the Premier League, the things that go on, you know, midseason. I mean, hey, Champions League goes on midseason. It'd be kind of like that, although Champions League isn't single elimination. Uh, even in the knockout stages, it's two games all the way up until the final where that's single. That's just one game, one and done. It would be interesting to see uh, the midseason tournament. It's one of those things where I think I would have to feel out, and I think the NBA would ha- would have to as well. 
But for them, I mean, they probably really want to now because according to uh, reports, the play-in tournament went about as well as it could have for the NBA. It produced great ratings. Uh, I think it was for the Nets-Celtics games, TNT produced – oh, it was uh, Celtics-Wizards. Celtics-Wizards, the NBA uh, – or TNT produced the highest ratings they had since opening day, since the opening game, opening night. And that's a big deal for the playing tournament because no one knew how the playing tournament was going to go. But for the NBA, if it's producing those kind of ratings and it's getting people re-engaged with the NBA, which I think, as I've mentioned for the past few years, has been it's been a little bit stale. It's been the super teams. We've kind of known who's going to be in the finals. Uh, me and Chandler were on the same page this year saying Lakers Nets, although that's kind of in doubt at the moment, just a little bit. But it's been a little bit stale, and I think they're just trying to rejuvenate the sport a little bit. And like I said, we're not used to change, but I think at a certain point, change can be good and you get used to it. We might, if, if they move ahead with a midseason tournament, the playing tournament stays. We might come to a time in the NBA in 20 years where we forget what it was even like without having those tournaments. So I think it, it's a possibility that they could toy around with. I think now that the playing tournament went so well, I think it's definitely going to be something that stays with the NBA. I mean, it produced great games, two in particular, Lakers, Warriors. Everyone wanted to see that one. It was fireworks. I thought the Warriors were going to win. I'm kind of eating crow right now because I, what I said last week with the Warriors, you know, moving on to, I think, the second round in the West of the playoffs, and I just I look like an ass right now, to be honest. I, I was totally off. Lakers versus Warriors. Lakers ended up pulling that one out on the heels of LeBron. That shot was amazing. I got to give credit to LeBron, man. Still getting it done. I think it's year 18 now. He's still getting it done, hitting threes like that. Over Curry, I mean, you know, it's Curry's not the best defender. He's not known for defense. LeBron's definitely a bigger guy than he is. But LeBron hit a big-time shot in a big-time moment. And, yeah, Lakers-Warriors was fireworks. So that was a great scenario. Worked out about as well as it could have for the NBA. Lakers-Warriors, two of the, at this point, most iconic teams in the NBA. I mean, Steph was possibly the MVP. He won the scoring title. And then you have the Lakers. I mean, you have LeBron, Anthony Davis, probably the one of the well, obviously two of the biggest names in the NBA. Not the biggest duo, but two of the biggest names in the NBA playing together. You had everyone healthy, Andre Drummond, and yeah, it went about as well as it could have. And then obviously, arguably an even better game. And you know what? Not arguably, it was a better game. Grizzlies Warriors. And it's funny that these two great games were involving the Warriors just Steph Curry being Steph Curry. Andrew Wiggins didn't play as well as he could have. The supporting cast did not play as well as he could have, as well as they could have. Uh, obviously, they didn't have Wiseman. Wiseman's been out for a while now. But what can you say about the Grizzlies, man? Getting it done in overtime. I thought the Warriors were going to be uh, both. I, I thought the Warriors would have won both their, uh, both their playing games. I thought they would have won. I didn't even think they were going to end up playing the Grizzlies. I said the Spurs were going to beat the Grizzlies, and Chandler said the Grizzlies were going to beat the Spurs. I was wrong. I was way wrong, especially about the Grizzlies, especially about the Warriors. So the Grizzlies beat the Warriors in OT, and that was another great game for the play-in tournament. And when you see things like that, when you see single elimination games like that, and it produces those kind of fireworks, you go to overtime, it's a tight game the entire way. Those are the things you love to see as a basketball fan. And it kind of made me enjoy the playing tournament. I got to say, like, I was I was skeptical, but I might be a fan now. I think uh, me and Chandler will talk about this next week probably. But I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the playing tournament. I, I think I would have to say that now. And with me being 
so wrong about the playing tournament and my choices. I mean, I, I think I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm being, I'm hazy on my picks last week, but I know I was wrong in a lot of cases. We're going to move on to the playoff matchups. So moving through uh, this first one here, we had Mavericks Clippers. So in game one, me and Chandler, I think both picked the Clippers in this series and the Mavericks got off to a hot start. They ended up winning by 10. They beat the Clippers 113 to 103. What can you say about Luca? I mean, Luca showed up right when he ne- right when he needed to, and I think he typically tends to do that. But for the Mavericks, it's it's up to the supporting cast. Like it's not all on Luca. Luca had a thirty-one point triple double, and he will continue to do that. I mean, he will continue to play great. I don't know about thirty-point triple doubles every night, but he will continue to uh, continue to play great unless the Clippers can find a way to shut him down, which is so tough because he just he's so creative with the ball. He knows he knows how to get uh, through traffic. He knows how to shoot from tight space. He creates space. He's so good. He's he's unbelievable, and he's a phenom. And you know what? It's just up to the supporting cast. Although they did win, Porzingis has to play better. And if they're gonna have to play very very well to beat a very good Clippers team, and they got it done in Game One in LA. I mean, props to them. All the props to the Mavericks. They're going to have to take game two. I think they're going to have to go back to L.A. up two games to none because the Clippers are going to be a tough out in L.A. So I'm curious to see where that series goes. But the Mavericks, uh, yeah, get it done against the Clippers. Uh, They're up 1-0 in that series. And we'll see that. I believe they play Wednesday or Thursday night. It's one of those two they play game two. I believe it's Wednesday night. So it might be uh, the night after this releases. This will will be out uh, Wednesday morning. And the next game that we move on to, is the Bucks Heat. And unlike uh, a lot of the series, this has gone to two games. The Bucks are now up 2 nothing. So the game game 1 did go to OT. It was a it was a good game. Uh Heat played them tight, but the game 2 game 2 was a blowout. I mean, 132 to 98, you beat them by 34 points. It wasn't even close. The Heat never stood a chance. I think up 2 nothing, although they do go back to Miami now uh, rather than Milwaukee. I think the Bucks take over the series here. I mean, we could be looking at a 4 nothing or a 4-1 series. I just I don't see the Heat coming back. I think the Heat take I I think the I'll give the Heat one. I'll take the Heat uh one game in Miami. I think they come back to Milwaukee up 3-1 and then I think uh I think that's all she wrote. I think Milwaukee gets it done. Uh probably 4-1 in this series. Could be looking at a sweep though. It really just depends. Hey, with the way Chris Middleton and Giannis have been playing it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the uh it's going to be tough for the Heat to do anything about a sweep. And it's a very strong possibility. Chris Middleton looked excellent scoring 27 in game 1 plus the game winner. And then he only scored 17 in game 2, but on four or five shooting. So very efficient. You know, when you're only taking five shots and you hit four of them and then you're sc- you're scoring free throws, you're getting assists, you're getting rebounds, that is a quality day's work. And that's all they needed on that day. That's all they needed in game two from Chris Middleton. He got it done 17 on four or five shooting. That's a great day from Chris Middleton. And now uh, for the Nuggets and Blazers. Tough for the Nuggets with minimal fans. They do have fans. And you know what? The ones that were there did what they could. But it's nothing like, you know, Madison Square Garden where it's back to 75%. It's I don't think it's even close to that. The Blazers put out an absolute clinic in game one. They had 19 three-pointers. 19. Carmelo and Damian Lillard played huge parts, uh, which is which is big to say out of Carmelo. You don't hear his name much anymore, so it's good to see that. I love Melo. I've always loved him since his Syracuse days. He comes in, Melo, he had 18 points in 22 minutes off the bench. 
18 points. And I think he had four or five threes. I think he might've been four for eight from three. So Mello, huge off the bench in game one. That was really the deciding factor was Mello. Damian Lillard, obviously going to do his thing every game. But then for, for the Mello to get, uh, I think believe it was four of eight from three and to finish with 18 points in 22 minutes, huge boost off the bench. And 19 threes, I mean, what can you say about it? That's that's just tough to compete with regardless of how well you play. And in game two, Lillard again did it. He put up 42, but it wasn't enough. He had 32 in the first half. So it maybe if he uh, maybe if he could have done something in the second half, it would have it would have gave the Blazers the boost they needed. But how much can he ask from one guy? He didn't have Aaron Gordon on him in the first half, that's for sure. Second half, Nuggets uh, switched Aaron Gordon over to Damian Lillard. I think uh, Aaron Gordon was quoted as taking the initiative on that. He said, "I got him." He went on to Lillard, shut Lillard down to ten points in the second half, and you can't shut down Damian Lillard. You can slow him down, which is exactly what Gordon did. I mean, 10 points is still 10 points, but 10 points is nothing. I mean, you look at the first half. I think he had eight threes in the eight threes in the first half. Clay Thompson's playoff record in a single game is 11. So everyone thought that Lillard was well on his way to breaking that. But no, what do you get? You get Lillard being shut down in the second half or slowed down. I shouldn't say shut down. He still had 10 points. But Aaron Gordon's defense on him was the deciding factor. Jokic was... uh Went tit for tat with Lillard the entire way. 38 points, eight boards, five assists. That's excellent out of Jokic. That's exactly the play the Nuggets need out of him with no Jamal Murray. And then they also had the uh, the complete team performance that they needed. They need the guys who to step up, uh, that they need to step up. Michael Porter Jr. stepped up. Aaron Gordon, solid as always. But they had six players in double-digit scoring. And without Jamal Murray... That's exactly what you need. Six players with double-digit scoring. That's how you move the ball. I mean, you learn from a young age, like ball movement. Like it's not, a, you know, no selfish basketball. If you play as a team, you can be anybody. And I think for the Blazers, like they need something special to happen. Again, I said, even though they are highly rated, I think they're a dark horse just because so oftentimes it's too, too much falls on the shoulders of Damian Lillard. He's got CJ McCollum and CJ McCollum's great. But other than that, I mean, they have Nurkic. Melo's not the same as he once was. It's tough. You need to see team performances. It's tough with selfish basketball, which is what Lillard has to do oftentimes. And for the Nuggets, if they play like they did in that game too, they're going to take this series. Just like the Mavs, the story of the Blazers is uh, is that sporting cast going to show up for Lillard, including McCollum? Because he, he didn't have the best performance in game two. I think you can see a lot more from him. But for the Blazers, the sporting cast needs to show up. And again, I'll, it's, it's kind of a redundant theme for me as team basketball. But the Nuggets showed out. They did what they needed to do. And the Blazers just didn't. But it is one-to-one in the series. And I'm, I'm excited. That's an exciting series. Like That's some of the most exciting basketball you'll see in the first round of the playoffs is Blazers-Nuggets. That's a great series to keep your eye on. Because as it, as it moves on, I think it's going to be a very tight series. I don't see anybody blowing anybody out in that series unless someone's really off like we could see game three I think I think they go back to uh, back to Portland and with the fans there the Blazers are going to be a tough out in Portland so the Nuggets are going to have to show up like they did six players in double digit scoring Jokic is going to have to do his thing if he can uh, if he can rattle out the sit the assists like he uh, did in game two rather than game one I believe he only had one assist so the Nuggets are more than capable of doing it without Jamal Murray. It's just going to be a question of if they can actually, uh, if they can actually put that into play. And the next one is 
break my heart a little bit. The Nets uh, are up one nothing against the Celtics. That's one of the games I said they play tonight, Tuesday, as I'm recording this. It's going to be a tough series for Boston, man. I, I got to say, like, without Jalen Brown, and I think everyone knew this coming, who, if you're a Boston fan or not, like, it's it's tough to see, but we kind of saw this coming. I, I don't think, as good as Tatum is, I don't think he can do it. I don't think he can carry this team quite yet. We need Kemba to step up. I, I don't know if Kemba's the guy anymore. I, I really don't know. Uh, we mentioned in a, a past episode what we would do in the offseason. We got, I mean, Kemba doesn't have much more time to prove that he's the guy for point guard that we need. I, I've said in the past that we need more of a facilitator. Kemba's always been a scoring guard. He's had to be. Kemba's amazing. He's amazing at scoring. He's not a pure facilitator like, you know, the Celtics have had in the past, like Rondo. And we didn't work with Kyrie Irving. Obviously, the situation with Kyrie Irving fell apart. And I just don't think Boston does well with scoring point guards. I think we need a facilitator. We need someone who's going to distribute the ball to now the stars that we have in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think we have some solid uh, some solid big pieces down low. We have Rob Will. And I think it, it's going to be time to maybe look at what we do at point guard. I love Kemba, but I just don't think he's the right fit for Boston anymore. I thought he was coming in. I thought he could fit into that role in gel. I just don't know anymore. For this series, I mean, the Nets playing that big three, they didn't even have to play it that much this season. But with the big three of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, it's like you don't, Blake, I think Blake Griffin had like one point. You don't even need him to do anything. I think he had one free throw. Blake is just there for rebounds. These three guys can score 30 in the 20s, possibly in the 40s. Depends who goes off on what given night. When you have to guard three different guys and try to throw out double teams, you can't. It's it's just they don't allow for it, and I don't think Boston has enough. Like I said in the playing tournament when we predicted last week, this was worst-case scenario playing the Nets. As good as the Sixers are, I think we would have a, an easier time against them. But I, I saw the stat. I think we've lost eight straight playoff games to the Nets, even though we, like, never play them. But that just goes to show they have our number. And now they have the big three. They have that big three. They they started them all. And it's just it's just going to be impossible, I think, to overcome. We have to play another game uh, in Brooklyn tonight, Tuesday. We'll see how that goes. But if we go back to Boston down 2 nothing. I, f- I just I fear we're only going to take one in Boston. So I think uh, we would have to win tonight in Brooklyn, possibly get it to a 2-2 series going back to Brooklyn. I'm not sure if we'll get there. Hey, Boston, uh, Massachusetts opens up May 29th. So I think uh, TD Garden is going to be more near full crowd in game four. So if we lose game three, there is hope that we could win game four. But I got to say, we can't be down 3 nothing at that point. We can, it's got to be 2-1. It's got to be 2-1. And we win game four with near full crowd, those fans cheering us on. It could be 2-2. We could get it there, but it can't be 3 nothing, or this series is over. I think regardless, I don't think the Celtics have enough to do it, but they could make it a competitive series. That's the least I can ask. That's just all I want is a competitive series. And for them to do it, they're going to need the fan support. Hopefully game four, I believe it's possibly the 30th. It's definitely after the 29th. And I hope that the fans are enough, and I hope Boston just isn't down 3 nothing at that point. So we'll see. But the Nets, man, the Nets are good. That is for sure. And this one, I'm going to – I'm going to – yeah, I'm going to eat a little crow on this one as well because I I mean, I said coming in, I have no faith in the Jazz and I have no faith in the Suns. And 
wow, uh, the Suns get it done in game one. They beat the Lakers. And you know what? A lot of it was because the Suns played great. Their defense is great. But I think the Lakers just played poorly. And I think the Lakers will come back. I don't know if the Lakers will win the series. God, the Suns looked good. I don't know if the Lakers will win the series. I don't know who's going to win the series. I said I had no faith in the Suns, but, man, they looked good. Devin Booker looked unreal. Devin Booker showing out with, uh, I forget how many points exactly, over 30. DeAndre Ayton looked fantastic, played tight defense down low. Part of the reason that AD did not play well. I mean, Anthony Davis had a poor game. He said, if I play that poorly, we're not taking the series. We can't beat anybody if I play that poorly. So DeAndre Ayton, a monster, 21 points, 16 boards, tight defense. That's exactly what you need out of him. The Suns are the two seed. If you're the two seed, that's exactly who you need to step up. Chris Ball didn't even have that great of a game. Didn't even have that many assists. I think he scored single digits. So if you can have guys like Chris Ball having a poor game and you still beat a team like the Lakers, that is a win-win. Not only do you go up one nothing in the series, but you're also not playing to your full potential. And although I didn't have faith in the Suns, they they kind of, you know, they shocked me. I, I think uh, I have a little more faith in them than I did. I think the Lakers can come back. They have every capability. They have LeBron. They still have AD. I mean, you never count LeBron out. Down 3-1 to the Warriors. You come back. He wins the championship. I certainly am not going to count him out in the first round of the West playoffs. So Lakers can definitely come back. But I tell you what, the Suns, I think, are going to make it a competitive series. The Lakers are going to be in for a long one. So we're going to have to see where that goes. We'll see next week if I'm way off because I think they'll have played three games at that point, possibly four. It might be up to four games at that point. So Chandler might be able to rub it in a little bit next week. And then uh, we go 76ers Wizards. And this was kind of just like, I again, best case scenario for the Celtics was to play the Sixers, but the Wizards get in there. I, I think the Wizards were doomed either way. And that's not to say the Celtics weren't doomed either way, but the Wizards going up against the Sixers or the Nets. I think me and Chandler just had these as givens, regardless of what scenario this ended up in. Sixers Nets are both moving on from these series that they're playing in. Damn, the Sixers are good. They are so good. Beal and Westbrook are not going to be enough, I, I got to say. Ben Simmons, six points, but that's all you need him to do. He had 15 rebounds, 15 assists. Ben Simmons is a force on defense. As much as I can hate the Sixers, I can't knock how good they are. Ben Simmons, six, yeah, six points, 15 boards, 15 assists. I mean, that's a crazy stat line. 15 and 15, that's tough. That's tough. And that's a guy who really plays point guard. So it's exactly what you need him to do. Facilitate. He's huge. He can be there and long for the rebounds. And then you have a guy like Tobias Harris dropping 37 points. How are you, how do you stop that? Who do you guard? It's it's just like uh it's just like the Nets. I mean, not as good as the Nets, but who do you stop? Tobias Harris, 37, and B dominated down low with 30 points as well. They just have too many weapons. It's it's gonna be tough. They have Danny Green as well. Danny Green's a knockdown three-point shooter. You can't leave him open. If Ben Simmons can kick to him, Tobias Harris can kick to him if they're guarded. Hell, Embiid, if he's guarded down low, can kick out to Danny Green. It's like Danny Green's almost the ultimate weapon. I love him. I've always loved him. He was a uh, North Carolina boy. I've always loved Danny Green. He would have been huge for any team that picked him up. He was integral to the Raptors winning their title. He was he was exactly the kind of piece that you need. And, yeah, it, it's going to be tough for the Wizards in this series, man. I think we could be looking at another sweep. I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised to see the Sixers get it done uh, in, in four. And then another one where I just look like a terrible analyst and I look like I have no idea what I'm talking about. Again, it's only one game. 
but the Hawks and Knicks, the Hawks go up one nothing to the Knicks, and the Knicks seem to have everything going for them, right? Like team of destiny. They have a 75% to 80% capacity Madison Square Garden, which if you know fans at any point in the garden are loud as it is, but then to be back from COVID for playoff basketball for the Knicks, Nick playoff basketball, that arena was so loud. And I, I, I mean, I thought the Knicks would take both games at the garden. I'll be the first to admit that, but that is a huge win for the Hawks. And they did it not just with teamwork, but on the heels of Trey young. I mean, he put a dagger in uh, not only uh, Spike Lee courtside, as you can see, Spike Lee courtside, of course, for playoff basketball, but he put a dagger in the entire Knicks fan base. And I feel bad for Connor Howe right now. I feel bad for Tom Greer. I, I feel bad for my boy Ariel Hawani. He's a Knicks fan as well. But the Hawks got it done. I mean, the Hawks absolutely got it done. Wow. Trey Young, unbelievable. Put a game winner, game winner in that basket. Shushes the crowd, said it's awfully quiet in here. It was awfully quiet. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It went from probably the loudest arena in the playoffs so far to literally hearing a pin drop. And that's all in part to Trey Young getting that shot off. And a game winner is a tough momentum swing for the Knicks to come back from in game two. Like when they play again, they're going to have to play their heart out because if you can't get a game in New York going back to Atlanta with Trey Young as exciting and confident as he is, you go back full potential, full confidence to Atlanta uh, with Trey Young, you're going to get it done. And the Knicks cannot afford that. They cannot afford to lose game two. They can't. You can't go to Atlanta down two games to none. Her playoff basketball is going to end quick. And it's funny because Atlanta Hawks interim coach, uh, this was going to be a headline, but I'll, uh, I'll mention it now just because I didn't do uh, headlines today in a traditional fashion. Nate McMillan, an interim coach for the uh, Atlanta Hawks, fined 25 grand for saying the NBA wants the New York Knicks in the playoffs. And just some quotes directly from, uh, from an ESPN article from his Zoom call with media. Absolutely, I've talked about that to the team a lot. Basically, I've gone as far as saying the league wants this, he said. They need this, New York. This is a big market for the league. And New York has been out of the playoffs for a number of years. And this is a team that our league, they want to see. There's a huge fan base, and they want to see New York in the playoffs. And probably the thing the NBA liked uh, or disliked the most out of this entire uh, media call, there's going to be a lot of calls that probably won't go our way, uh, Nate McMillan's quote of the saying. And talking about referees as it is gets dicey, but when you say like the referees are basically being paid off or uh, told by NBA heads to – make calls for the Knicks and make calls against the Hawks just so that the Knicks can win. That is a tough look for the NBA. And so, you know, I doubt it's true. I, I don't think corruption runs that deep. I think Adam Silver is a great G, uh, a great commissioner. I think he's one of the best in the game uh, in any sport, certainly better than Manfred in the MLB. Uh, he gets a lot of flack, but Adam Silver is great. I don't think corruption runs that deep. I don't think the Knicks are, you know, wanting obviously they yeah they want the Knicks to win but do I think that they're paying off refs and that they're you know making calls that are specifically going to go against the Hawks even in Atlanta when they go to Atlanta no I don't think that I definitely don't think that so for him to say that I get why he's saying it I mean I think it would just be to fire up your team I think it's just something like if your team hears you they're going to play extra I think they're going to play extra hard they're going to have a little more pep in their step they're going to want that they're going to want it even more and it's, you know, it's dicey to say again, like you, you can't 
piss off the big guy. You can't piss off uh, the NBA. You can't you can't do that against the execs. So going against them, yeah, of course it ends in a fine, twenty five grand. And I don't know what their rules are for bad mouthing as it is, but that definitely is a no fly zone. So it's funny that he uh, he says that, but then the Hawks get it done anyways. They go up one nothing. We'll see what happens in game two. But uh, yeah, the Knicks. Well. Down one nothing. I was uh, totally wrong there so far. The Knicks could obviously still get it done. And again, I'm kind of bad mouthing myself in my picks here. But hey, we're early. Game one, game two, barely in the books. We're gonna have to see how it plays out. I could, hey, I could be right in the end. Suns could end up blowing it. Knicks could move on. We're gonna see. But again, team I was wrong about the Grizzlies going up one game, uh, one game ahead on the Jazz. They're up one nothing in the series. And the storyline was obviously that the Jazz did not have Donovan Mitchell. There's supposed to, supposedly turmoil uh, in the locker room, and then with Donovan and the uh, and the team, just uh, the heads of the team as well. Just for, I think there was already some before that. He, he's been healing from an injury, but also as they uh, as they scratched him for that game, I think he wanted to play in the playoffs. I think he wanted to play game one especially. I don't see Donovan Mitchell as a guy to milk an injury. I don't see him as just sitting out. I think he wants to win. He wants to be there for his team. And he was mad. He was mad that he sat out. And I don't blame him because now, look, the Grizzlies are up one nothing. The Jazz are the favorite. They're the number one seed in the West. And just like that, you're down one nothing to the Grizzlies, who I believe were 10th in the West coming into the play-in tournament. So the Grizzlies make it through the play-in tournament. They make it to the series. If they can play two games and then get it done against the Jazz as well, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be like one of the biggest upsets, especially against the team in the Jazz. And hey, I said I didn't trust the Jazz, so I guess I'm kind of half right there. But uh, with the Grizzlies, I, you know, this is going to be a tight series. I can't really say exactly who will win yet. Uh, I had the Warriors beating them in the playing game anyways, like I said. So Chandler was right uh, that the Grizzlies would be moving on. We definitely both picked the Jazz in this series, though. Uh, regardless, Actually, no. He picked, the, uh, he picked the Jazz in this series. I picked the Warriors, I believe. Uh, I think that was where we uh, concluded. So I was totally wrong. Chandler, definitely right. But again, Jazz didn't have Donovan Mitchell. But the Grizzlies, they do look semi-legit. I mean, how can you knock what they've done so far? The teams they've beaten, they've made it this far. They're up one nothing against the number one seed in the West. And in large part, the guys that you don't expect to do exactly what they did. I mean, if Dylan Brooks can come close to repeating what he did in game one, I believe he had 30-something points. I can't remember exactly the number. It was in the 30s. This team can definitely upset the Jazz. You have guys like Dylan Brooks and then just behind the leadership and confidence of John Morant. It's a team that can definitely get it done. Jonas Valanciunas as well. They're uh, they're a complete team. I think they're I think they're a year or two away from being a real competitor. But, hey, I, I've been wrong before. I could be wrong. They could take this series. But if Donovan Mitchell returns, that's a huge momentum swing for Utah before heading off to Memphis. If Donovan plays game two and the series is one-to-one -one and they head back to Memphis, I think the Jazz also take a game in Memphis. I could easily see it being locked up at 2-2. I don't see the Jazz getting blown out of the water. That is for certain. I think if Donovan Mitchell comes back, it's going to be a tough, tough go for the Grizzlies as well. It's not, it's certainly not going to be a cakewalk. And what can you say? I mean, they are, they were the 10 seed in the West coming into this uh, in the play in tournament at all. So for them to be even, for me to even be saying that the Grizzlies have a chance of winning is insane, but it's the reality that we're living in right now. I, I definitely think that they can get it done. 
But that's it for the playoff matchups so far. That's what we've seen. Again, the Tuesday night games, Celtics versus Nets, Lakers versus Suns, Mavericks versus Clippers, all game twos. Wednesday, we will see more action. Uh, Bucks, Heat, Knicks, Hawks, uh, blanking on the other two at the moment. But that is it for NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm very excited for the NBA playoffs. I love it. This week, I think this year is very exciting. Part and reason because you see the Suns and Jazz at the top of the West. The East kind of predictable. Sixers, Nets. It's it's going to be a little more stale coming out of the East. But the West is very exciting. We don't r- truly know who's going to come out of that uh, out of that conference. Suns and Jazz. Kudos to them. One and two. I would love to see a team like the Blazers or Nuggets go far as well. We predicted Lakers, Knicks, or uh, Lakers, Nets in the finals. I don't want to see that. I don't necessarily want to see that. I think, regardless of being a Boston fan, I think I'd rather see the Sixers in the final. I don't necessarily want the Sixers to win the championship, but seeing the Sixers in the final would be something different. You can't root for the three headed dragon and James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. You can't necessarily root for that unless you're a Brooklyn Nets fan. They're exciting basketball, but do you want to see them win the championship? No, you don't want to see the favorite win the championship. Everyone wants the underdog. So we see the Sixers and then any of those teams from the West, man, Jets, uh, I'm sorry, Jazz, (laughs) still in the NFL mindset, Jazz, Suns, Nuggets, Blazers. You see any of those teams make it to the finals. That is very exciting. So I would love to see that. And yeah, we'll see how the NBA playoffs uh, turn out. And we're going to have more developments next week when Chandler's here. He'll be able to give his input as well. Hopefully comment on some of mine from this week. But, uh, yeah, he, he will see next week. And we'll, we'll talk about this more. We'll have more to talk about as well because there will be many more games played at that point. We're going to see how the series are going at that point, see where we are at, see how our picks are doing, see if I've had any sort of redeeming, uh, redeeming picks at all. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to that point. But for now, we are done with the NBA, and I thought it would be fun this week. Uh, We didn't have any listener questions. We didn't do it because Chandler's not here. But for the solo episode, I thought with just some creative idea, the biggest sports headlines from the year I was born in 1998. So just something I know a lot of people, obviously a lot of people I grew up with were 1998 or 1997. Chandler's birthday was just May 4th. I'm honestly not even sure if he's 1997 or 98. I want to say he's 98. He's going to listen to this and just correct me, probably text me, and uh, he'll let me know if I'm totally wrong, but I I think he's 98. So from possibly the year uh, Chandler was born as well, but also just from the year I was born, biggest sports headlines, Michael Jordan won the sixth ring with the Bulls, his last championship, scored his last points for them in the series winning shot, and that was kind of when the Bulls dynasty ended as well because he was gone, and then I believe Pippen and – Uh, Phil Jackson left. Uh, I believe Rodman left at that point as well. So the Bulls, it was a big year. You know, the Bulls won. uh, The Bulls broke up that year. And I believe actually after that season concluded, uh, July 1st, I believe there was an NBA lockout as well. So that was a fun fact. NBA locked out the next year and it was closed down for a while. I I believe the first like couple months of the season got scrapped in the uh, 99 season. And I have no clue who won the title that year, but it was definitely a shortened season. So, yeah, Jordan won his uh, last championship, and then the NBA had their lockout. And then if we move on to MLB, Mark McGuire, although uh, was on steroids, broke the single-season home run record, hitting 70 home runs on the season. 70 home runs. I mean, that is just absurd. I believe that's still the single-season record. 
single season home run record, 70 in one year. So Mark McGuire did that that year. I believe Sammy Sosa was second. I think he finished with like 64 or 66 in the 60s somewhere. So an unbelievable season from those two. But yeah, hitting absolute bombs. And then the Yankees went 114 and 48, which is just an unbelievable record. I believe one of the top three highest winning percentages. It could be the highest, but I'm not entirely sure. But highest, uh, one of the top three highest winning percentages in MLB history. And they won the World Series. So that was an unbelievable team. As much as I am a Red Sox fan, and that breaks my heart, most of my family is Yankees fans, but I got to give props to them. 114 and 48 win the World Series. That was a big MLB headline from that year. So home runs be damned. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, the Yankees got the real, uh, the real important title. So they won the World Series. And then in 1998, Broncos and John Elway, uh, John Elway at the helm, although he didn't have that great of a game in the Super Bowl, they beat the Packers. I believe that was an upset at the time, too. Upset the Packers in the Super Bowl, took the Super Bowl ring. So John Elway cemented his legacy, beat up on the Packers, and now he's uh, he's an exec over there, helps run things. So Broncos legend, John Elway, great for the sport, great for that team, got it done, got the Super Bowl in 1998. And then for those soccer fans, if there are any listening, I know me and Chandler might be the only ones. But uh, France wins uh, the World Cup 3-0 against Brazil, largely behind Zinedine Zidane. I mean, that was a legendary France team as well, but Zidane did score twice. And kind of like, no not, I mean, no knock against France, but they did play that World Cup in France. They hosted. So kind of unfair at the time. They played at the Stade de France, and they got the win. So they won the World Cup at home, which is it's kind of like, you know, the box winning the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, but on an even larger scale and the World Cup scale. So France got it done in the World Cup, 3-0 against Brazil. And those were the biggest sports headlines from 1998. I'm sure I missed some, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I missed plenty. I was looking them up. I tried to do them justice. Those were kind of the biggest ones. There's probably been more exciting years than that, but I thought that was going to be kind of cool instead of uh, listener questions that I would move into that. And that's just uh, an interesting headline. Maybe we'll do other years. If you guys submit and you let me know what year you were born, uh, and then I'll do headlines from that specific year. We can see those and we'll talk about them, especially with Chandler here. So uh, if, if he's 1997, we might even do 1997 headlines. Maybe those are more exciting than mine. But yeah, if you want, uh, hit us on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you want. Uh, go on our website. You can email us there. Uh, just uh, submit a question. You can just let us know when you were born. Let us know your name. And uh, you can let us know when you're born. We'll do some headlines from that year as well. Or if you just have a listener question, DM us anytime. And we post stories saying we want listener questions, but you can also just DM us. It, do- it doesn't matter. Uh, DMs are open. You know, we're not big time in anybody because we're not big time whatsoever. And you can send us whatever you want. And more than likely, we'll have it on the show. Uh, you guys come up with great questions. Typically, our, we love our learner, we love our listener question turnout, and we love that you guys submit every week that we do it, and we are thankful uh, that you that you have a desire to listen to us talk about it. So we love that. Thank you for your listener questions, and keep submitting them. Maybe we'll do your birth here if you want. But we're gonna move on to getting towards the uh, end of the show here. A little uh, book thinkers ad. Uh, and we'll move into what I've learned rather than what we've learned. So what I've learned, but with Chandler not here, I'm here to read your trusty book thinkers ad. So here you go. Do you read personal development books? If so, you should check out book thinkers, a company that is dedicated to helping you fulfill your life through books every day on Instagram. 
every week on their podcast. The team over at Book Thinkers, an awesome team, helps you discover new books and new mentors that you can use to achieve more and live better. The right book at the right time can absolutely change your life. Chandler's a much bigger reader than I am at the moment, especially of self-development books and books that can help you personally. You can find out more by heading over to Instagram and searching Book Thinkers or going to www.bookthinkers.com. Either of those places, social media or their website as I just listed. Again, on Instagram, search Book Thinkers or go to www.bookthinkers.com. Link to all their podcast episodes, all their posts. They have great comments on books. And they I think they have book recommendations as well. Chandler will do that more justice. But again, the right book at the right time can absolutely change your life. But you should definitely check out Book Thinkers and uh, get into some self-development books. Because I know for Chandler, they've helped him out a lot. They help him uh, motiv- motivation-wise, life-wise. I think I got to get into some at some point. I think Chandler will probably turn me, into, turn me over to some a little bit. And uh, he'll he'll have to give me some good recommendations. So I'm excited for uh, excited for you guys to go check out Book Thinkers. And with that probably uh, belabored advertisement, I will move on to what I've learned this week. So if anyone watches golf, the PGA Championship down in South Carolina was this past weekend. Finished up Sunday. Phil Mickelson got it done. One of the greatest to ever do it. Phil is a legend. Been through the ringer. I mean, he's been around forever. Had personal issues. Uh, family. And he uh, he's still doing it, still getting it done. Became the oldest golfer to win a major in golf history at 50 years old. 50 years old. Imagine what I've accomplished at 50. Hopefully a lot, but definitely not this much. Definitely uh, with my golf game, I definitely won't be anywhere close to this at 50. I suck. So with 50 years old, Phil Mickelson wins a major at the PGA Championship, becomes the oldest golfer. And that is uh, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable for his legacy. I hope he's back. I hope he's competing in more tournaments, other majors. I hope we see him again down the line. Again, he is 50, so I don't know how much longer he'll be doing it. I'm sure he'll keep doing those little challenges where uh, him and like Charles Barkley and Peyton Manning, maybe Steph Curry, he keeps doing those. I know he had the Tiger Woods one as well. I'd love to see that out of him. I hope he keeps doing that, but I also hope to see him on the tour. So I've learned that Phil is one of the greatest to ever do it. I think I already knew that. I think anyone who watches golf already knew that, but to tell me if you weren't surprised that he won this major this past weekend, I was shocked. And I mean, it just cemented the fact that he's one of the go golfers. And just for a little shout out as well. I mean, Rob font, nobody knows, nobody's going to know who he is. He's a UFC fighter, but he's a fellow new Englander. If you're from new England, listening to this, he's a new England guy trains out in Boston with the new England cartel. Got it done this weekend. Biggest fight of his life beat Cody Garbrandt, former champion at bantamweight. That's 135. That's 135 pounds. Rob Font got it done. Love to see the New England boys succeed. And I just wanted to give him a shout out as well because that New England team is doing something special up there. Love to see the fighters from New England be as good as it gets, be at the top of the crop. And uh, yeah, I love to see it. But with that, I mean, that is that is the end of our episode, guys. That is the end of it. I've done everything I can from the sports world in this episode I've had a great time talking today. I've probably done a lot of talking. Maybe you shut it off already at this point. I don't know. But I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sitting down with me today, taking this uh, 45 minutes to an hour out of your day to listen to me talk. Talked a little bit of NBA playoffs. We'll be back again next week with uh, with Chandler. Chandler at the helm doing his intro and outro. But I'm doing mine today, doing my business. He'll give the ad more justice next week. 
But uh, yeah, I had a good time talking to you guys today. And uh, do not forget to like, subscribe, follow, anything you can do. Drop a review on uh, Apple Podcasts if you can. Head over to our YouTube and watch the video version if you want. We do do a YouTube video uh, version. It's a lot more exciting when Chandler's here as well. But there's a YouTube version as well if you want to watch us, if you want to throw us on YouTube. Or just keep listening on any listening platform. You get your podcast, Spotify, Apple. Honestly, besides that, I don't know the other ones, but we do have them. Uh, links in our social media bios. You can go to our website, www.rightoffthebus.com. You can go to any of that, catch our latest episode, uh, read up just a little bio about us. But yeah, like, subscribe, follow, anything you can do to help us out. We really do appreciate it. We really appreciate listening. And yeah, I'm out, guys. I'll catch you guys next week with Chandler back in action. Take it easy. You are listening to Right Off the Bus.